0: Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time. Hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is Anna Björg Sáldorinsdottir, manager of the Icelandic Museum of Sorcery and Witchcraft. The museum located in Holmovik in the Standir area of the country, was opened in the year 2000 to preserve the heritage of magical practice in Iceland, its methods and customs, and tell the stories of the witches and sorcerers themselves. In the interview, I talked more with Anna about the history of magic in Iceland, how it developed over the centuries, and the changeable social attitudes to people who used spells, staves and grimoires. We also discuss the origins of the museum and its collection of fascinating and unusual exhibits, the most well-known of which are perhaps the rather gruesomely named Necropants. Excellent stuff indeed. Enjoy! Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. The museum looks like a fascinating place. What are its origins? How did it get started?
1: Well, yes. Uh, the Museum of Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft was opened in the 2000, in the year 2000. So, last year we celebrated our 20th anniversary. So, and uh, the beginning, the idea behind it was came from a, a folklorist, a man from the area, and he did a report about how we could use our cultural heritage and stories to build something up here in this area that we are in the northwest in iceland and one of the idea was to open a museum about icelandic sorcery witchcraft and that idea got uh, a lot of attention so he saw that okay there's a potential there and then they gather he gathered up a group of people locals that were willing to work on this project. And it started in 96 and they opened in 2000. So the idea came in 1996 and then they had, yeah, then they had these years to prepare and plan it all.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So I am not, I'm not the one of the founders. I come in uh, into this later.
0: Uh uh-huh. So, so how did you, how did you get involved?
1: Uh, I was studying tourism in uh, Reykjavik, and I had to do my final thesis. And I decided to do a research on uh, innovative uh, uh, tourism business uh, on the countryside. And then I decided to take a look at this museum and contacted Sioda, the former, uh, what you say, uh, the curator, former curator of the museum. And mm-hmm. I did my uh, research here took interview with him with, uh, and also other members of the board of the museum and locals. And, and yes, and studied this program and became quite say, enchanted by these people <laughs> and by these men in this area here. Uh, but then, yeah, okay, I did that. And then a few years later, I came back to work at the museum, three years later. And then I met my now husband he is from here, so and now I'm living here and I uh, worked there two summers at the museum. And uh, then uh, late year 2019, the curator was one also one of the founder and was managing this all from the beginning. He suddenly passed away, very yeah very suddenly. And then they need someone else to run it, and I applied for it since I knew the idea behind it, I did did a research about it and I worked there, so I knew how it all worked. And so I came in and took over then later. So I'm running this, but uh, the museum is actually, uh, it's an uh, independent, no, how to, self-owning institution. So it's like, no one is gaining any from it, anything from it, except, you know, of course the society here, but all the profit just goes into further expanding it and, you know, maintaining itself. And their support behind it. They are the decision makers, and so I work for them, and do what to, I I'll, I run it and keep it going and do their projects that they decide.
0: Excellent. So, why is it in that part of Iceland? Is it is it strandir? Yeah. Why is it there?
1: Uh, it's in like the most. Um, most of the witchcraft cases actually were in the northwest of Iceland, the Vestfjords and Strand that is part of the Vestfjords, and uh, this area is actually considered kind of like the home of the cunning in Iceland, since after the yeah in the witch after this witch craze in the 17th century and also in the Icelandic folklore we have some stories of um, sorcerers here that were living here not only one, but few of them. And this area was quite isolated. So um, so the Christian uh, church and their effect came here a bit later and were never that strong like in the rest of Iceland. So the kind of people, they were here f- far in the north, pretty isolated, so they could mostly live their lives how they wanted. So the superiority were not affecting their lives so much. You know, so the... Uh, Yes, so people were, for example, the heathen religion, uh, was actually remained here longer than in the, in other parts of Iceland, in this area. So, so that's why this is from here. This is the museum is here.
0: Right. Okay. And so, was there more uh, material recording witchcraft and sorcery in that area as well? I'm, I'm wondering how this sort of this part of Icelandic culture was preserved, um, consider, considering uh, there were points in history when it was dangerous to be a, to be interested in this this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. How was this part of the culture preserved?
1: Um, well, like before, like in the seventeenth century, when the witch craze was here, it was after the Reformation, so we were not we were Protestants then. When we were still Catholics, uh, Catholic, they, we had stories about uh, there were so many Catholic priests who were actually the most powerful sorcerers, you know, sorcerers. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of part of the religion. Um, yeah, so it reserved like in stories and also in some uh, grimoires. Uh, but of course, like you say, like it, this was, of course, not uh, allowed to to sorcery. And if you, if you were found with some runes or some magical staves, it was a proof that you you know, new magic and therefore you were burned. So everyone got rid of it. Um, but there were like later in the 19th century, people found some old grimoires and were drawing it up again, you know, you know how to, yes. So we have, there are some grimoires and then we have just like, how to say, records from the state, from the sheriffs, you know, from the cases, uh, the witchcraft cases. And we have a, a lot of information. Uh, well, some information about the nobles and the sheriffs and the uh, and the priests that were in charge there. But then the other people who were accused, they were just um, common people, just poor pagans. And so we, the only, the only thing we know about them is their names and where they lived. So we don't know much about it. So it's just, yeah. The knowledge we have is from some grimoires, from stories, and from documents, you know, state documents. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: like you were just saying, the, the the time period that the museum covers, it, it seems like it a lot of it's sort of in the uh, 16th, 17th centuries. But does
1: yes, it's in a in the 17th century. It was a pretty later, late, he, later here than in Europe. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like a century later. Uh, it and it was here in Iceland. It was in the so the second part of the 17th century, so like from the middle of the 17th until the end, was the biggest. Yeah, right. They, okay. So it was not a long period, but um, there was 21 person who were burned for witchcraft, and but there was uh, 700 cases of witchcraft cases. So there were a lot of more people that got punishment. The most common punishment was to get whipped. And yes, uh, people were also able to clear their names. You know, to declare that they were innocent. The way to prove that was if you were could could get the twelve people to or the majority of twelve peers to swear that you were innocent. That way you could clear your name, which was very unfortunate if you were an unpopular person. You know, it's.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I kind of feel sorry. I mean, yeah, that's, that, that must be, uh, yes. yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, very, yeah.
0: In terms of Iceland's history, does magic and sorcery, does, I, I I'm imagining it goes back much further than the uh, 16th, 17th centuries.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, um, um, well, how like Icelandic sorcery and witchcraft, it is, kind of mixture-like of the um, superstition too, you know, and so uh, how to say, like uh, in Iceland was were really harsh conditions to live here and most of the majority of the people were very poor didn't own their land and you know, and didn't have any resources or anything to get any wealth or help themselves, so they looked into, they had this knowledge of some staves, that could help and so invocations and we tried to use everything that it could you know and sometimes it was a mixture like from the religion that like in the grimoire we find a lot of like latin text which just comes from the bible with the christian influence but then we also have magical staves that are quite old and also mentioned for example in the edda in the edda the books that tells the story of the old old nordic gods and uh, there, there are also some magical staves named that we still know now. Um, so it is a mixture from every, uh, a lot like this. Yes. It's the common man I used.
0: Hmm. So is there a lot of influence coming from mainland Europe in, in terms of how magic was manifesting itself in Iceland or is it relatively self-contained?
1: Um, I think originally comes from Europe because like the Icelanders Mm we came from Norway, most of the settlers here. So it must have come somewhere from there. Um, But then uh, later like this knowledge that uh, witchcraft was something bad and you should burn for it and uh, all that actually that knowledge came from Iceland, because uh, there were some sheriffs and clergymen who were studying in Denmark and North Germany, and they came home with this knowledge that uh, witchcraft was really bad and something you had to, you know, punish people for and burn them. And like, so because of their education abroad, then they brought this here to Iceland. But this uh, kind of like common man sorcery is very, how do you say, common, you know people was just mm. as usual that you have like some symbols to have with you when you want to recite certain words to uh, to pre- protect you or to he- heal someone and so on so it was very common and had always been like that so when they suddenly come with this new knowledge from europe that this was not allowed or you know very bad then kind of like the crash of these two cultures or this two understandings you know of Yes, so, yeah, people often admitted to for uh, the using witchcraft, even though they're not admitted to do the the harmful thing that they were accused of, but they did kind of sorcery or recited some words or used some magical staves and that was enough for them to be burned. So, well, yes, I would say like the Icelandic sorcery and this, yeah, it came from Europe originally, yeah. But it was kind of in, and it mixed with everything, like mixed and with the influence from the church, and so on. So, yes, uh, we have in the Iceland here also a lot of stories. It seems to be that, uh, like in the old days, uh, that the ghosts uh, they were uh, with this priest. I told you that the priests were most so- uh, far- powerful sorcerers, and they were able right. to wake up the dead. That seemed to be like, according to the stories, something that they were doing. Uh, but uh, I don't know much more about that. That uh, it was a lot of stories.
0: It sounds a bit hypocritical if they could do that and then other poor people were. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, like that was uh, when they were still Catholic. Yeah, yeah. then the, like yeah, then but then after the Reformation, when we became Protestant, then then it was not something that uh, the priests could do. Uh, okay, uh, sorry, I, I, I get yeah, you now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but I, I like I also tell people like when we talk about witchcraft and sorcery, like it's uh, actually very old idea, and it's uh, like as old as religion. You know, it comes from comes from the same roots. And so, and what like I think what we call sorcery and witchcraft, we can also call it a miracle. You know, if it's done for good, you know, that's the actually no difference between there. So it's like you can do a miracle and then you have connection to some higher power and able to do something that not the normal people can do. And maybe it can be uh, your way to show that you are connected to a higher power, kind of like this, this priests or like Jesus. And <laughs> when I tell my kids, uh, kids that come to me, I tell them this, and then they get very shocked and say, what are you saying? That Jesus was a witch. And I, well, and then I say, well, I think a lot of things that Jesus did were would could be considered as witchcraft, you know it's something very you know yeah not what anyone could do so uh so, so it is connected with the religion it has been like that, but then after the Reformation then they uh, the priest could not do this anymore, and uh, then kind of they got this how do you say? Then they wanted to get rid of it somewhere else. They got a the competition from others. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard somewhere there that kind of explanation, you know. And also after the Reformation, like, they say that we don't need priests. We don't need some middle, um, someone to med- and, um what do you say, Um, the middle part, like to connect with God. You can do it directly.
0: Like a mediator, yeah.
1: Mediator, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but then that that then that must mean that you can also connect like down to the devil, you know. So then somehow because of this belief that you can connect yourself to God, without you know just personally from you, then you were probably also able to connect yourself to the devil and to the bad forces. So that's kind of made the the individual more dangerous because this belief was came now with this new perspective of the religion and yes i once heard that also and i think that also makes sense a little bit
0: Mm. but yeah all right (laughs) sorry (laughs) no that's fine um one thing that is interesting is that the majority of people who were accused of witchcraft and and executed were were men and that's generally not how it was in, in mainland europe is there a, a straightforward explanation for that
1: um well no i don't No, there's no one clear explanation for it um hmm. no but so it seems like in the stories here in iceland then what we can read that uh, sorcery and witchcraft was something that men seemed to practice um and but then this is also i've also heard the explanation that the society here was built up or was different than from the mainland europe uh, because because of the hard conditions here um women actually had to be uh bound to a certain household they had to you know they had to be bound to a certain household and belong to that and uh, they could not live alone somewhere or with other women or you know so it's just like um, but And that was not, uh, in Europe, it was, I've heard that some of the women that were accused of witchcraft and burned were like women who lived alone or, you know, alone in a shed, in the, sh- uh, in the forest or something, you know. And so they were more vulnerable. But here in Iceland, they had to be, they were part of a ho- household and they were more important, they were just important. They were workforce there and also because in iceland the women could not own a land or anything so if that was the case that you wanted to get rid of someone to get their land or you know their money or whatever they had and um, you wouldn't be able to do that if you got rid of a woman because she was not allowed to own anything so that kind of protected them here in iceland but uh, i heard that in europe like sometimes that seemed to be the case is that when women were accused of witchcraft and burned, um, it was because then, then, the, then they got their hands on their land or whatever they owned. Mm. So it's just like the society here was different built. This was actually also the case in North Norway. Uh, they also have this witch craze there and there they were um, mainly men that were burned. So it's not only here in Iceland. So it happened in North Norway. It seems like, okay, this... Yeah, the societies, uh, the society was different here than in Europe. I also heard the explanation could be um, in Europe when the witch burnings were there, it was on the rise of the um, medical science. You know, when the men were coming up with the science, you know, medical mm. science and research and this this knowledge that the women had of healing with healing herbs and this, you know, this common knowledge to heal and help people. Um, that was a threat to them. And that was a threat to this new science. So uh, therefore they wanted to get rid of them. You know, so that was, could be, you know, so. But I think in this and like in many other cases, it's no one simple answer for it. It's a mixture of different things that affected this. But I think it was a big factor that women were not allowed to own anything. They couldn't own land or anything. And also they're part of households. So they were not like living alone and people making up some stories about them.
0: Hmm. So.
1: Um, so I think that is the main
0: reason. Right, yeah. So in the period, sort of the Catholic period you're talking about, when it was a bit safer to be interested in, in magic, was it something that everyone did or were there practitioners that people would go to?
1: Well, like in Iceland, we kind of make the distinction between, we call it like witchcraft, which was like, very powerful and then you were able to maybe control the weather and wake up the dead or do something like that and then we have a kind of like sorcery i'm just going to call it sorcery which what's it's more like the common man used you know kind of like mixture of superstition and some magical staves and invocation you know it was nothing really strong but just the kind of little tools to help you or maybe it was more like a placebo you know something to help you you know believe and therefore, you know, kind of like prayers and to help you your life. So, and that was just like, so we make this uh, distinction, you know, and the witchcraft uh, was more like, and then there were mainly the priests and the, because the priests, they were actually the most educated people here in Iceland and uh, we have many names for witchcraft and sorcery in icelandic and that kind of uh, gives us the idea it was something that was part big part of the culture since we have a lot of words for it kind of like the inuits have many words for snow you know <laughs> so <laughs> and uh, there were many other words indicate that this uh is someone who is knowledgeable so to be able to do witchcraft. And, you know, then you have to be very knowledgeable, you have to know things which make sense, of course, like you have to know in the know the natural na- nature, the forces of nature and how it works. And, you know, alchemy is also very connected. It was not practiced here, but you know, in the story, you know. So, yeah. And that's how it was. And it, it seemed to be like, yeah, we had these stories of, of some priests who were waking up the dead or priest bringing down the dead. You know, if like uh, if send, someone sent the ghost some, so, to someone, then the priest came to, you know, kind of exor- to exorcism. So, yeah. Wow, that,
0: that sounds like a a crazy time to to live in when when you have that going on i mean
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well what a story what is true i don't know you know i'm just going <laughs> to leave that to people to decide for themselves you know <laughs>
0: but that's interesting i mean uh, does magic and witchcraft does that sort of dictate the ideas and the uh, the types of entities that that people believed in in iceland or was it that they, it used Pre-existing concepts of of the world, like so uh, the the sorts of mythic entities that that came to Iceland in through the the original settlers in the the Norse legends, um uh is is the witchcraft sort of dictating the concept of the beings, or is the are, are the are the beings themselves? Are they something that that just the the witchcraft adapts?
1: Uh, are you talking more about like the like the folklore beings or what?
0: Yes, yeah, sorry. So when you talk about, we were just were just talking then about how witchcraft could be used to send or summon or or, or deal with supernatural entities.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send, yeah, yeah.
0: Does that include those sorts of entities that people knew of in Iceland from its settling?
1: Yeah, I think. No, there was not so much dealing with them. Um, hmm. So, when I'm talking about this ghosts, it seems to be, yeah. No, it's mainly when, you know, waking up the dead or, or the ghosts and something like that. It's not so much with dealing with uh, these elves or trolls or like that we have the stories of. Um, not so much. Um uh yeah, I don't know how to explain that more. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. No, that's a that's a fair a completely fair answer. I, but it also going back to what you were saying, it, it does make you think again, like yeah, Jesus did practice witchcraft, considering his um what he did what he's written to have done with with the dead anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. He was changing water into wine and walking on water and Yes, healing the healing the sick and and so on. So he did a lot of, but if he would have done uh, used his power to doing bad, then ba- something bad, you know, that's that's probably would have been then considered witchcraft, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, but when you're talking about these then they, what do you say, these mystical, mythical uh, creatures here in Iceland, um, like because a, a lot of people ask now if Icelanders believe in elves, and and so on. And, and actually they did a research on this. And uh, m- like majority of Icelanders uh, don't deny the existence of elves. You know, it's like people don't actually say like I believe in elves. Well, there's a, a percent uh, as a part of the nation, they say they do that. But the biggest part uh, I think th- the majority of the nation is then like believe in else or don't ex- deny their existence, you know. And I think that's because we have so many stories and we know people that seen elves or something, be- you know. So if you say, I don't believe in elves, you kind of like saying that they're like probably a little bit crazy, you know, you don't want to do that. You believe the people, be- but you don't have the proof yourself. So you just don't want to deny it. And I think this belief in elves is also connected to um, that uh, this uh, respect for nature that nature is actually much more than you know and more powerful than us and you have to respect it and so you have to respect it so you can live with it, that's how it also interacts with the else. and here in Iceland like they are there but you're not supposed to do anything, you know, it's don't supposed to interact with them or anything just want to live peacefully with them they don't want to be interrupted and i think that and we also have many stories that kind of like the powerful men kind of walked into the mountains when they died they they didn't get buried it just became part of the nature and so i think this belief in elves and all these creatures is more just like well also, I think they also exist, but, um, but I think it's, is uh, this respect for the nature and there's uh, much power in it that we cannot always fully understand. Uh, but we, and, but we are like under their power, you know, under their mercy, I had to say. Yeah. And we, we get very <coughs> clear of it now. Now we have a volcanic eruption here in Iceland now so <laughs> we cannot control that and it's just like we have to adapt to it and respect it keep a distance um, but admire it mm. and we, we but we have a lot of uh, we have a stories like this kind of and i think it's also in other countries like we have the stories of kind of um spirits that are living in in the landscape we have for example the four protectors of iceland And they are on the coat of arms for the country. So there's a bull in the the west. We have a eagle in the north, dragon in the east, and the giant in the south. Mm, Wow. And they come and they rise up and they come against you. If someone tries to attack Iceland, they are on the coat of arms. And so, it's said that the Harold Bluetooth. He was a king, uh, and we know him because of the bluetooth you know the you yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. and they t- they took the name from there, you know from this king, he was a king in Denmark, and uh, he wanted to invade Iceland because Icelanders had been uh, writing uh, some bad poems about him because he was not popular for some reason here, <laughs> and so and that was the most evil thing that you could do at this time if you made a bad poem or someone because like r- you know, that kind of went from man to man, you know, it could ruin his reputation. And he heard about that. So he wanted to invade Iceland and he sent a sorcerer. He had a friend who was a sorcerer and turned, told him to turn himself uh, into a whale and go to Iceland to find out where's the best to go to invade the country. You know, he wanted to prepare himself. So his friend, he did that and he swam to Iceland. Then he came to the to the east, found a good fjord there and swam to it, uh, into the fjord, but then came this big eagle. No, no, sorry. There was a dragon There came this big dragon. There's a lot of snakes with him too and all kinds of bugs. And like they came towards him. So and ready to attack. So the whale just went back into the sea and then went further around the island, came to the north. There he met an eagle and the eagle came towards him with all the birds and everyone ready to attack him so he just retreated went further came to the west and then found a big good fjord and he went in there but then came like this huge bull with his big horns running over the sea into the sea towards him and then he went back and in the south he did the last attempt and then there came these very big giants you know a group of giants towards him and then he retreated and he found no way uh, no place on the south coast other, other place that would be, would be a good place to come with ships so he just sailed back and told Harald Bluetooth that he shouldn't invade Iceland, it was to protect it with all these entities so they saved us during that according to this story So
0: I, I really like that, I like the idea of places having uh, protectors like that I did an interview with a a chap who lives on the Isle of Man and he was part of putting together a collection of folklore about the Isle of Man and the Isle of Man is said to be protected by a a, a giant called Manannan so
1: ah yeah and I think I think like our folklore stories are very many of them similar to like the Irish or the British you know from England I've heard there are so many similarities
0: yeah, I, I I think there was a, a period in the Isle of Man's history when it was part of a of a kingdom that had its sort of centre in Scandinavia. I'm I'm not sure if that's correct. I think it is. So, but there does seem to be that kind of cross pollination of of um, of stories and ideas. Oh, I I love I love that story that you just told. So, I suppose it was more as though the the people who practiced witchcraft and sorcery in Iceland, it wasn't so much that they directly interacted with that, to- that sort of entity, but they probably understood their existence and knew of their existence.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would say that. Yeah.
0: Cool. So um, a little while ago, you were, you were talking about staves and, and, and they seem to be a big part of Icelandic magic. I guess partly because they're so wonderfully visual, <laughs> which yeah. makes it difficult to to get that across in a, in a podcast, I suppose. <laughs> um, but, um, but that's
1: that's why they're a part, a big part of our exhibition in the, in Iceland. You know, the Museum of Sorcery. You know, because it's very visual. Yeah, and we we also publish some uh, grimoires. We have so and um, sell them. Um, yeah.
0: Hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about? About staves and and their history and and sort of how they used
1: Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> that is a <laughs> difficult thing to talk about because if you talk about the experts and talk to them, it's a very hard to look for the because they it get all mixed up. We can have the same stave and it comes in different grimoires, and then the explanation is very different, you know it's used for this. In this grimoire, but then the explanation is different than the other one you know so it's and where they come from um I think it's very old like originally it probably comes you know from i've heard I've heard that it comes from uh, Judaism or like that you know they're very old like from the middle east you know the symbols mm-hmm. originally M- many people talk about runes and the runes have magical you know powers but actually they weren't the runes were just um just the our alphabet bit because we they, it just looks like that because it was better to carve them into stone you don't want to curve lines and so on so it just but of course something was written in runes like invocation or so on um magical simple staves well people use them we we have a lot like if people wanna are interested in this they can look on our home page so if they just search for the museum of sorcery and witchcraft we have a collection there of or samples of different magical staves most of them seem to be like for protection but as a big part and i actually like that art just kind of like for farming like uh so it's a which i think it's lovely because it shows you like what people were using this for you know it was just trying to make their life a little bit easier you know there are certain staves that you put um use when you're sharpening a knife or you put it on uh, on your boat to protect you when you're on sea or you carve it on the on the house so a, a fox doesn't come in and hurt your sheep and so and i i really like it because it shows you know how the society was and what was important to yeah what was important in their lives and what they wanted to achieve so so I just recommend people like try to search, you know, if they want to see more about these staves and more information about them, they should visit our homepage and we have symbols there and explanations with the staves.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I mean, something that I think is good about magical symbols is it sort of it speaks about the power of symbols in general because symbols are everywhere in life. Most things, lots of things have symbols on them from from your, your clothes have little symbols on them saying how to wash them or or dry them, and, and and symbols are everywhere, but they've become sort of implicit parts of life. You don't generally think about them as symbols. They're just there, and you know what they mean, whereas I suppose with magical symbols, they have a sort of a... They inherently feel more esoteric and maybe a bit more mysterious and powerful. I, I suppose that's, that's, that's the thing I find... It, interesting about magical symbols is that they sort of they they seem to they they make you think more about what symbols are rather than just having them sort of exist passively in your life
1: Mm -hmm. yeah 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 exactly but i think like like the magical symbol itself is just a very small fraction small part of the the practice you know Kind mm. of like you have to have the intention. There has to be you has you have to have a knowledge. You have to have intention. You have to have your own power. You have to know different kind of powers, like nature, and then you kind of like I would say then the uh, then you use simple maybe just to be kind of like the arrow, you know, or kind of like the way or like I think it's it's a part, you know, just a small part of it. But there's a the magic itself is much different, much more, you know. Yeah, we kind of think like the, if you have the symbol, but there's so much more behind the symbol, everything mm. else. You know, like you say, you know, there's a there's a lot of meaning, there's a lot of, a lot of things, but if you want the symbol to have the effect that you want, it's supposed to have, then you have to have, you know, a lot of things else, you know, like your attention, your own power, have to do it a certain time and certain way. So, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I I read somewhere like it's, um, actually I think I was reading a book about chaos magic a while ago, which, which uses sigils, which are very similar to staves. And the author of that was saying how if you're going to do a, a spell to help you get, to help you get a job, you have to, you can't do that spell and not apply for a job. You have to apply for the job as well. (laughs) You know? So yeah, yeah, I mean, it feels like that's, that's ma- magic. Is sort of It's complimentary It's not going to do all the heavy lifting for you. Um, no, no, but exactly. But once, that I, I did, I did exactly. like was the one to open open a lock without a key. And I was wondering, is that the is that for thieves or is that for people who've forgotten their keys? So...
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I haven't tried it myself. <laughs> So yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not the expert in this. Even though I'm the curator of the museum, you know, I'm just <laughs> I'm not expert in these days. Uh,
0: since, since you've been working at the museum, and since you've been the the director, um, has your interest in this sort of thing increased? Because I I know you were saying at the beginning of the interview, like you 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 were studying. Um,
1: Yeah, I was studying tourism. Yeah, tourism. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, exactly.
0: So coming Um, into this role, have have you learned more about this area of life?
1: Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I have learned more about this, but I was kind of uh, always—I have always been very interested in this kind of mystical thing and the things you don't see. And like when I was a kid, I I like to have my tarot cards and you know want to do (laughs) all this and. So it was, and I also like, kind of got like, when I see now there's a lot of groups of witches in uh, online. And when I see their definition of what is to be a witch nowadays, and then I see, okay, I was probably also always a witch. You know, it's a, you know, how we, like, I grew up with um, my mother who was, a I grew up as a nature child on the countryside. My mother, we always went to pick up herbs and... You know, so I know how the uh, I know the healing herbs that we have here, and that's very common. and very usual for me to know that, and I also believe in. I always have been very accu- uh, sure about some different uh, higher power that is affecting or controlling things, and we can connect ourselves to. And yes, so I kind of always had this in me, but I. Not in witchcraft. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but i always been interested. And that's why I chose to do my research about the museum, because I had some interest in this, you know. So that's why I chose this as my, in my thesis. Mm. Uh, but then I have got to know more about this now. And what I find um, interesting in this all... I find find it also interesting to look at this from the perspective of just um, ethical practice. Because this time when the people were burned or accused for witchcraft, I think it shows this important lesson like we shouldn't... How the... I don't know how to say. um, How the people with less power always have to suffer when we when we don't know things and we want to i don't know <laughs> yeah okay sir. sorry i'm off track you have to edit this i'm sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> no no it's it's fine usually i'm for the most part i'm, I'm editing myself so don't yeah worry i know about i know it.
1: but please edit me too <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting
0: what you're saying i mean did you get the sense that this kind of thing witchcraft and sorcery was it more prevalent when people felt they had less faith in their government or they felt like they had less power as people to... to... Yeah,
1: people, yeah, yeah, exactly. When the people had, le- when they had less power just in their lives and everything. So the nature was really harsh, the environment, and the uh, people were just, um, had no means to get any rich or any money or anything. So then they went for this, you know, It's the only, and the 17th century, it was... Yeah, it was a very, it was a pretty dark time here in Iceland and hard. And then they get punished for this, you know. So it's very unfair and very, you know, it's just, it was nothing evil that people were doing. And uh, many other like we have, there was one priest here in the Westfjords who actually had a sick wife. Probably like people look at it now, she was probably um uh, alcoholic. And But he studied in, in Germany and there he learned about this and he did some studies about the demons and the witchcraft and all that, what's called demonology, no, something like that. Okay. And he was at the time like the most educated man in Iceland and then of course people believed him and he wrote some documents about this here in Iceland, about the... Uh, Yes, about the harmful ways of witchcraft. And, uh, and when his wife was sick, then he always found there was, must be someone behind it. Someone was causing this illness with witchcraft. And then there were a lot of people accused because of this. And uh, he actually was, or his family was uh, responsible for, I think, seven of the witch burnings, you know, which is quite a big portion of the 21 people. Hmm. But he, but then there were also like uh, his brother-in-law. He was also the sheriff here, so it was quite. Uh, <laughs> so that's also the reason for the a lot of the witchcraft cases in the Westford, because the very yes very bad relationship between the people. Well, like <laughs> unfortunate for the lesser people with uh, this relationship uh, with the people with the in power, you know. So
0: hmm um here in britain a few hundred years ago i think james I. he his wife was danish and it was either as he was sailing over to meet her or she was sailing over to meet him there was a storm and and the idea was that it was it was witches that had caused this um and so in in scotland uh in a place called north berwick there was a uh, some witch trials connected to that and, and james I he wrote a book which was also called uh, demonology which became sort of a, a a handbook about witchcraft and how to spot the signs of somebody who might be practicing and it was um used in a, a similar way unfortunately mm-hmm
1: yeah, exactly. And uh, so like this uh, in this period in Iceland, when the witchcraft, the burnings were, it uh, was in the middle of the 17th century. It started mainly because uh, here in Strandir, where, uh, where we are, uh, there were some strange sickness going on in the small community. And it seemed to be when people went to church that they got very sick and felt really bad and start burping and you know and just like kind of (laughs) yeah we were acting very strange and, uh, and no one could explain what was going on and then they then they came to the conclusion it must be witchcraft you know it was something and it seemed to be worse when they went to church which made sense for them that when the priest was telling the words of god then you know the devil in them or whatever bad forces that were they were under were fighting against it, and therefore the symptoms were worse when they went to church. And then they found, uh, then they found this man who was actually doing quite good in the society, and was envied. And they kind of they said, okay, he is probably causing this. He is, you know, he's known to know witchcraft and so on. And uh, and he was not able to uh, get majority of twelve people to swear for him that he was innocent. And, and around this also, then when this came up, they were, uh, and they seemed to prove that he was, uh, he was, uh, accused, uh, he was, yeah, what'd you say?
0: Oh, guilty. Uh,
1: yes, <laughs> he was responsible for this. And then there were two other men, guilty, yeah, sorry, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, then there were two ma- two other men came. Oh, this seemed to be like when they found two other men who, who were also admitted according to the records, they admitted for doing witchcraft. One has uh, killed the sheep from another farmer and some other had done something else. I don't remember what it was. So it began like a, three men were burned in five days in this very small hmm. community here. And that kind of this uh, incident lit the fire to the belief in witchcraft. And then like kind of like people that were afraid of it, they kind of like got more afraid of it or and the people that were kind of like practicing it also believed it more and therefore maybe did more of it, you know, so it's kind of like, and then after that, yeah, then there were a lot of cases. And uh, here in the West Church, and this man I told you before who was educated in Germany, he was caused a big part of them. But then there was a one man who was accused of witchcraft and they, he was supposed to be taken to, uh, to the south of Iceland where the high court was and burned there. But this was actually during uh, summer time when the farmers were the busiest. They had to take the hay and prepare for the winter. But the sheriff uh, collected men to follow him and so they took him to the south but the travel went really slowly and bad because the man of course did not want to be taken away you know he was fighting them and trying to escape and and the man and the farmers didn't like this so they kind of just stopped on the way and burnt him burned him somewhere oh. where there was enough wood so they didn't take him to the court and then the and this time iceland was part of the danish kingdom and the and the the king of Denmark he heard about this and he didn't like how we handled this. The people were just taking the law into their own hands. So he sent to Iceland, like, okay, all um, how to say when someone was sentenced to death, he had to be go over it, like, or the king or the court in in Denmark. So that had to be so. And then after that, there were like there was one man who was uh, got the sentence to be burned, but then then his case was you know went to Denmark and then they changed it into an exile. So he wasn't, we got the the sentence to be burned, but then he took out an exile, which meant he was in prison in Denmark and died then two years later, because it was a, yeah, it's very bad conditions there. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a death sentence to be sent to the prison. So, so kind of, yeah. (laughs) So the king actually helped us to stop this madness. So, and this is not the only only time when he has, uh, the king of Denmark has actually stopped uh, Icelanders doing something crazy because uh, when I told you about this uh, that the people were waking up the dead and the people really believed that uh, actually like ghosts that uh, people were able to rise up from the dead and so they were afraid that people did it and they were like nailing the bodies into the coffins to make sure they wouldn't come up because they believed like the ghosts were kind of very physical it was like kind of like we think of zombies today but they were very physical so if you were if you nailed them to the coffin then they couldn't come up and be a ghost and haunt you or whatever and one way also to do it was that um, to uh, take the hat off the person to behead, head the person and then dig them uh, with the chest down and with the hat facing the bottom the person so that was one way to (laughs) to you know make sure they wouldn't come back to hunt he was a ghost and uh, yeah and the king heard about this and then he just so yeah he sent to iceland like please don't you know (laughs) <laughs> abuse the bodies of the people like this. Stop this immediately. He's just like, and we so there's a document, like official document <laughs> from the king, king in Denmark, where he please ask Icelanders to stop this nonsense. So <laughs> it's yeah.
0: It, it sounds it sounds quite funny, but if you're if you're terrified of the dead, then it <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, I'm, I'm just I'm just doing it so that the dead don't rise and attack me. I'm not doing it to be funny. I'm just. <laughs> I'm no, yeah, genuinely exactly. Worried about the dead coming back.
1: <laughs> uh huh. Definitely. Yeah. Exactly. It seemed like the fear was at at least very real, you know, because people were doing this, you know. So, hmm. so very yeah, strange stuff. So, but we, but we know this from other countries too. I think they're also in, in Britain.
0: Yeah, they f- they found uh, skeletons in Britain with the bodies have been nailed down, and I think they find them in quite a lot of places and it's there's always a lot of conjecture about why they did that whether it was just something practical or whether it was whether it was something to affect that that person in the afterlife or or something to protect the the people that were still living I don't know it's I I guess that's the thing with with archaeology isn't it you you can probably never quite fully know but it's but it's fascinating to try and understand what what might have been going on and um, connected to the the dead, is it fair to say that the best known exhibit in the museum are the necropants?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, you could say that, yeah. But <laughs> most people that come and visit us, they have heard about the necropants and they want to come and see them. Mm-hmm, yeah. Do you want me to tell you the story behind it?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I think I think my listeners would be really displeased with me if we didn't hear this story. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. So the necropans, um, yeah, it's most uh, the most difficult magic to practice, according to Icelandic witchcraft. Um to make, yeah, so uh, to make the necropans, uh, you have to make a deal with someone who's alive that you are allowed to uh, skin them from waist down when they have died. So they have to, have to be a signed contract. And uh, when they die, you, have, uh, you dig them up and then you make yeah you kind of you make pants out of them uh, and and then you well you have to be careful not to leave any hole in it, and you have to the person has to die on their own cause. you know you cannot kill the person <laughs> <laughs> that's a cheating um and then but you're not ready when you have the pants the first you have to uh make a there's a certain magical stave that's called necropants stave. put that on a piece of paper or whatever skin and then you have to steal a coin from the poor a poor widow a coin from her and these two items you place into the scrotum of the pants and then you put them on and uh, they have the magical uh, power that they become like your own skin or you know that's uh what they can uh, what happens when you put them on and why you go through all this prob- trouble and uh, that is to get more money so uh so it's the money in the scrotum attracts more money. So you can always sneak your hand in there and then you find the coin. But you have to be careful not to take the original one because then the magic is ruined. So you have to maybe mark it or something. Right. So, yeah. And then you kind of like, then you have this, yeah, scrotum full of money always with you. So you never run out of money. (laughs) And that's the nature of the (laughs) necropants.
0: Yeah, I guess it's like you'll you will always know where your money is, I suppose.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that too. Yeah. And also like with the necropants, uh, you don't want to die in them uh, because then your soul, your body is like condemned forever. Your your body will be infested with bugs and worms and you will like burn in the hell's fires forever or your soul. So yeah, you don't want to die in them. So you have to uh, give them to someone else. And they, like, according to folklore, like, they're necropants that have been in the same family for generations. So it just goes to the next, someone in the next, you know. Yes, the same family to the, someone in the next generation. So they take over always, younger one.
0: Wow, okay. So who owned the necropants that are in the museum?
1: Um, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Yes, <laughs> that's the story behind the necropansia. Yeah. But I always think like uh, steal, uh, stealing a coin from a poor widow, I think that's actually the most difficult part of it. <laughs> because during this time, no one had money, actually. Like no one, and especially not poor widows. So I cannot understand whether you could get a coin from a poor widow.
0: Yeah, yeah. I suppose that coin has the most value. It's a very valuable item. And maybe it, that's the power of the that powers the spell, maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's also interesting like we also t- talk about a different kind of mm, money magic in the museum, but there's also the this thing that you have to steal the first coin, like to get rich you have to steal the first. Hmm. Someone told me it's like yeah, it's also like in life, you know. You have to, you know, steal your first million or whatever it is and then you get rich uh, but i don't know um yeah it has the same nature someone also mentioned that like it seemed like it's very like gruesome it's very uh, yeah <laughs> and it's a kind of may- maybe it mirrors this idea that uh being too greedy and wanting too much money is not good you know and it will bring you bad luck but because if you die in the pants, then you are condemned. You know, you have to bring it to someone else first.
0: It definitely seems to be. There could be a, a cautionary tale there with um, creating necropants.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also with the uh, the other magic, then you have to have a. You have to. You have to get a blood from a no, You have to get a, a hair from a virgin and the period blot from a virgin and carve the magic symbol on a skin of cat. Uh, make from the hair, you need to make a gnat and fish some creature from the sea, which is kind of like a worm, something we'd fish it into the net from the hair of the virgin and put it into a box with, uh, with a stolen coin from a widow. And then you put the skin over it with the magic symbol. So it doesn't escape because if it escapes, goes into the sea and will cause a storm a bad weather which will kill a lot of people you know so it's, it's always very a lot of st- in stake in, mm. when you do something like this um, so yeah <laughs> but we uh, then, then what I find most interesting like most people really love the necropaths actually I love the tilpere that is a magical creature and we have a, like um a, a prototype of it in the museum, and it's kind of like a worm-like creature with a wool, but an on head. So it's kind of like a long, with like a kind of worm, worm, but with the heads on both ends. And this is actually a magic that only women can do. And uh, so to do it, a woman needs to go to a churchyard on a holy night, for for example, with with Sunday or like on Easter, like that. And they have to dig at the, uh, out the body and take one rib a bone like rib bone from a someone in the churchyard and that bone they um, wrap into wool and keep it behind uh, between their breasts and then they need to go to when they next when they to go to church and take the sacrament then they leave the the wine in their mouth and then spit it on the bone and they have to go to church three times to do it three times and then it becomes alive and then it gets like comes this head, come the heads on the both ends of this animal. And then it uh, gets bigger and it grows and it lives actually on human blood. So the woman needs to like uh, make a little hole or like kind of nipple on their inner thigh because the w- women were wearing skirts so they could hide it under the skirts on the leg. And it was just laying there on there, on the leg and sucking on the nipple and then the woman could send this creature out to steal some milk from sheep and cows and that was the purpose of this whole thing was like you have this creature that kind of help you um yeah with uh, you know to uh, get more for the home to get some milk and then the creature drinks from the sheep or the cow and then comes back and it turns a little bit like like a bowl and then rolls back home and pukes Uh, into the churn where she churns uh, butter, you know, so she will, (laughs) she will make a butter out of it. And then you get this Tilberasmur, it's called. And then he just drinks the blood from the mother, but he he loves his mother. So he always goes and get milk for her. And there are actually um, people that, there was a case here, a woman was accused of this, but she was cleared, you know, it didn't really went to court, but. There are actually recorded cases so but yeah i like this creature (laughs) he's my favorite one
0: (laughs) hey it sounds like a very helpful addition to the household
1: (laughs) yeah exactly yeah exactly that's what they did (laughs) but of course it was not good because it was stealing from someone else you know so yeah (laughs) so it's kind of on the gray area you know but yeah (laughs)
0: no no it's it's fascinating Mm -hmm. well Anna this has been a really interesting conversation yeah yeah thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast
1: yeah yeah thank you for inviting me thank you for having me
0: if people want to find out more about the museum how best do they do that
1: um we have uh our homepage gantra (laughs) scenic but I have to um I think just Google Museum of Sorcery and Witchcraft. I think mm. That's just the best way.
0: Cool. I'll put the website address in, in the show notes.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.
0: That was a really fun and interesting chat. I definitely need to get over to Iceland sometime to visit the Museum of Sorcery and Witchcraft. It's great that people care so much about that aspect of the country's history and appreciated the importance of protecting its weirder heritage. Magic itself can be conceptualised as ritualizing intent through a system of key principles, which often transcend cultures, but the way it's practised will never be the same from place to place and it's important that these unique differences are preserved. That's all for now please consider rating this episode wherever you listen and sharing it on social media as it really helps the podcast to grow and find new listeners. You can find and follow Some Other Sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and subscribe on all good podcast platforms. You can now also donate to the podcast by a co-fi. Details on how to do that are in the show notes. If you'd like to email me here at Sphere HQ, the address is someothersphere at gmail.com. This was the 60th episode of the podcast, another small milestone in its life. I want to say thank you to all the wonderful guests I've had on the show and to everyone who supports and listens to it. Some Other Sphere is taking a short break and we'll be back in late June. Until then, be safe and well. Source your necropants carefully and correctly. And again, thank you very much for listening.